Hello, welcome back to another episode of Demetrius Gelatis and Josh Burbles talking and thinking advanced pool strategies and learning stuff podcast. podcast. I, I, total Zoolander shout out. Everybody everybody always asks me what the name of the podcast is, and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really have a name. It's just under you, your umbrella. So starting to realize why so many bands have such stupid names. You'd be like, well, why would they name their band, you know, Acid Rain or whatever? It's like, well... Because it's just a lot of pressure, man, to name something. You know, yeah, it's like, I don't exactly. know. It's You're almost better off going with something that's nonsensical and silly. Because then at least you can see like, well, I wasn't really trying. Whereas if you like try to come up with a name that's cool and everyone's like, really? Yeah, yeah. That's all you could come up with? Yeah. So anyway, good to be back. How's it going, Josh? Excellent, Demi. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, time flies. I guess I'd spend a few months, uh, you know, it's not unusual, I, you know, we don't do this full time, but uh, I, I think I want to start by just saying thank you to the people that tune in and listen. Um, it's it's just amazing. You know, I meet people and I hear messages from people and and you do. And it's like, yeah, I just it's fun. It, it's fun to know that, uh, that you, you know, I feel like we're all kind of hanging out and it's uh, we couldn't couldn't do it without without people tuning in. So thank I want to thank you guys. And, and I also want to thank the people that have come out and trained with me. Uh, man, I've had. I've just gotten to meet some really cool people and have some really high quality times talking pool, working on pool. And it's just been a treat. So I, I thought I'd start with a little gratitude session. Josh, what are you grateful for? <laughs> <laughs> this is like Thanksgiving. No, I, uh, well, you know, I said, I told you this yesterday too, but my brother, he, he is not play pool. My oldest brother, Dave, and uh, shout out to my brother, Dave, if he, he'll listen to this probably. He's a truck driver and he, he's listened to our podcasts and he really enjoys them. And, He's not a pool player, but he he likes some. And his his, his uh, fiance, he's getting married here coming up. He uh, she was at a family thing last night, and she was you know saying that she listens to the podcast because she overheard it when he was listening to it and said she really enjoyed it. And she's obviously not a pool player either, but it's just cool. It's uh, fun to get support. And then there's all the pool players that we run into and people that listen. And uh, yeah, it's just it's awesome. It's cool to have the support. So you know, I'm I'm kind of envisioning that uh, I'm I'm I'm, run, I'm kind of have a little fantasy running through my mind that I'm going to be uh, some doing some international travel for a pool tournament. Somehow like I'm going to break down on the side of the road. I'm going to end up at like walking through some like back, you know, gravel road and some deserted village. And I'm going to meet somebody that doesn't even speak English and they're, I'm going to ask them for help. And they're going to be like, uh, Demetrius, uh, pool play. You know? <laughs> anyway, we're going to like, yeah, recognize your voice. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah. probably uh, yeah, that might be a while, but uh, we're going to get there, Josh. We're yeah. going to get there. Yeah. All right. So, oh, so we should probably talk about what we're, what do we got? We've got a few things today to talk about that I think are going to be fun. I think it's going to be pretty fun. Um, so we're going to do a couple updates uh, on, on some of the uh, training and the club and some things that we have to update everybody on. But then uh, we're going to get into some of the things that we've learned in our time teaching and coaching. Cause I get asked this all the time about like, what have, you know, have you gotten better at pool from teaching other people? And so and what have I learned from teaching other people? And I think that's an interesting conversation. And so uh, I'm going to kind of tell you guys a little bit about what I've learned from teaching other people. And and that's going to branch out into a few different areas. And then um, I've got a few things that are on my mind that I, I as far as mental game that I wanted to talk to you about to kind of, you know, just play around with some different ideas. So and then we'll see how the conversation goes, because, you know, half of what we talk about is impromptu anyway. So. Uh, I just, I haven't seen you for a while. So I'm excited because my best friend is here in my house. And after this, we're going to play some pool. And so it'll be fun. Awesome. It's the thing that makes it all work is the pool table. So let's start off with um, Slate. That's our, our billiard club. So uh, we're going to have uh, 
pool club. Josh, tell everyone about the pool club in case it's their first time listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're, we're we've been working for gosh, it's been a while now that we've been putting it together. It takes time with with the city and attorneys and the lease and everything. So we've been working and working and working, and uh, it's uh, it's a private billiard club. It's going to be membership driven. Um, St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul, Minnesota. Yep. It's kind of close to Minneapolis, but but on the St. Paul side that borders Minneapolis. And we're in this really cool, cool building, lots of energy, uh, good parking. Um, it's uh, it's an older building that's been renovated. And we took over a space that was kind of like a dot com place that that moved out. And so we're moving that into the, the billiard club. So it's I probably mentioned it before, but it's like it's a really cool building, brick and timber, uh, got some really good design elements to it naturally. And we'll just add to that with a couple little touches. And we're going to have six to start off. We're going to have six nine foot diamonds and uh, a bar table as well. And uh, we can kind of build from there. We have room to expand over over the next coming years. But yeah, that's that's where it's at. And up, the update on it is we just signed the lease officially. We've gone through all the city stuff as far as uh, getting approvals and all the meetings and all the all the per- permits and everything. So we just uh, you know have to just button things up starting May first. We get the keys and then we just there's not a ton of build out on it. It's a really nice space and ready to roll. So we just need to set up all all the, the little the tables and some of the little elements of seating and things. Um, June one, so yeah. That's our open. That's yeah. Our open I think day. that you know yeah. we uh, there was a little misunderstanding because we had mentioned. Uh, so it's kind of exciting for people that have been listening to this pod that we've been doing. Uh, you know, they heard it when we were just. It was like an idea, and then it went to like maybe we should actually do this, and then it turned into hey, we're doing this, and then and then it's kind of developing, and now it's opening, and it's it's yeah. kind of it's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. But but along the way, we'd mentioned something about April one, and we we've been talking about like when we expected kind of. The, you know, we we weren't really a, making a public announcement of when we were trying to open, but I think there was some misunderstanding. So I just wanted to clarify: we are going to be open on uh, on June one, and so uh, we haven't we haven't even accepted uh, we haven't accepted any paid members yet, but we are going to be doing so. We're going to be running a little promotion for the local um, for the local uh, people that get in here before we actually open. So we'll be reaching out to people, and if you are interested, if you're in the area and you're interested in your information, you can reach out to me. Uh, or Josh, and um, I'll provide my my email as info at mnpoolbootcamp.com, mn like Minnesota, mnpoolbootcamp.com. And uh, I, I also feel like saying thanks to all the local uh, people that have already reached out because I'm, I've been kind of overwhelmed with the response. And uh, yeah, I mean, this club, without people coming to play, this club wouldn't work. Yeah. But instead, we've gotten quite a few people that have... Uh, expressed very you know like we're going to have a full club and it's going to be yeah it's going to be vibrant it's going to be awesome and uh also if you if you want to you could check in with me too it's just josh you know uh 763-273-3732 just shoot me a text i'm better through texting and 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 calls and things like that if you have questions or or whatnot so yeah perfect yeah so that's the update there so we're very excited and then now that's obviously more aimed at the local people that might be members but then for people that are uh, not local. That doesn't mean that you can't come visit us. Um, I actually just, uh, anyway, I got a message from a guy from Germany who's going to be in the area and he was asking about places to play. And I'm like, funny, you should ask. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, uh, the point is, is that, you know, people travel and, and, you know, and I'm going to be doing some training out of there. Uh, I, I, I run boot camps. So for 
anybody that doesn't know, I, I just gave my email address. My website is mnpoolbootcamp.com. I, I do one-on-one uh, -on -one pool instruction for advanced, you know, strong, intermediate, advanced players. But by having a club, what that's going to allow me to do is it's going to allow me to do a few like group things as well. Uh, that'll be good for for people within driving distance and even for people that want to come up and make it kind of a, a destination thing. You know, we, uh, we'd love to have people. Uh, it's going to be a nice, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't want you to say it because I don't, I, I don't want you to have to say it. I'll say it for you. I know Josh and I know how he executes. And there's a reason I'm partnered with him <laughs> because I can't beat him. So you join him. I, I and uh, he's going to make this the nicest space that anybody's ever seen that has a pool table. You're going to walk into this place and and you might even move to Minnesota just so that you can play out of this club. That's how nice it's going to be. It's you're going to want to just, you know, do your, your if, if you get married, you're going to want to have your wedding there. You're going to want your ashes sprinkled in our club. I mean, it's, it's going to be awesome. And I really, really mean it. Like, I know you don't, you're not going to say it, but like, you're not going to do anything less than the most amazing place to walk in ever. So I think it's going to be fun. And, uh, I think a lot of people can swing up to Minnesota at some point. And uh, I know I'm excited. Little Chris, did I tell you this? Little Chris is going to be coming up and uh, to our club and then doing some YouTubing out oh, there. Sweet. So awesome. We're going yeah, to yeah. do our podcast there in the future. We're going to yep. uh, we're gonna have the video. We'll do video of me and Josh up there at the club. Yeah. So, okay. Anyway, we can, I, I didn't even go on that long. Just excited. We're excited. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, good to, it's good to have this come together. Yeah, it's super exciting. So, yeah. The other part is that I'm very excited about is that I completed. So last time we did a podcast, I mentioned that I was going to kind of test the waters with some mental game coaching. Um, and I did. And so I, I ran a, a coaching session with three people and it was, um, it was zoom. So it's available for anybody, regardless of location. Uh, it was um, three two hour sessions. I really have been trying it. Basically I've had this thing in my mind where I really feel I see a burning need among the vast majority of pool players for some for some assistance with with their with their outlooks and mental game. Um, most people, they you know, I don't think I see the need more vividly than most people because I see I know what's possible and I know and and so most people, it's almost like if you went into a pool hall and everybody's jumping up and and you know jumping up on their shots and hitting too hard and rattling balls out. It, it's like if you live in the world of APA fours and, and you don't even know that there's a higher class of pool out there. You might not even know there's a problem, but I, so it's like most people have a certain, most people with mental game, they just, it is, you know, Oh yeah, I try to think positive and I try not to, you know, do this or that. Like most people's idea of a mental game is so underdeveloped that they don't even realize they don't even know what they don't know. They don't know what they're missing. I know what they're missing. And I look around and I see all these pool players and how they play and the stories they tell themselves and how it translates into their experience and their performance. And I'm like, Oh my God, everybody needs help with this. And nobody's, nobody's talking about it to my satisfaction. And so I have this huge thing on my mind where I'm like, I just, I've been trying, but I'm trying to figure out how do I get it from my mind and my heart into other people's minds and hearts, because that's, that's where the rubber hits the road. Um, and so I've I've done some coaches corners in the past and I've tickled on some things, but it wasn't really going to work. And I've thought about why. So I so I put together this thing with three people, two hour sessions, three sessions. We did every other Sunday night for two hours. And we did uh and we did that for three sessions. And the reason I set it up that way was because it had to be short enough 
for people to get something out of it. It couldn't be one session. I needed time for people to kind of think about stuff, reflect on stuff, bring questions back to me. I could also give them stuff to listen to in between or you know, read about in between uh, and questions that they could mull over so I could give them some homework. And, and it just takes time to kind of develop certain things. You can't just do it in one instant. And so I, and I did three people because two reasons. One, I could keep the price a lot more affordable. Uh, and two, it's, but it's still one-on-one. It's like, it's still, you still get personal interaction. So it's like, and you can hear and learn from watching other people, because I think a lot of times people learn a lot listening to other people um, in these environments. And the reason I really like the interactive thing, I thought about doing podcast series with the on mental game. And I, but the problem with this, uh, the problem with books and audio lectures and podcasts is that it's not interactive. And so what I've found are, or what I've found is, is that people that have mental game, you know, issues, they, it's because they're kind of like the cycle of the physical game. They they have certain outlooks and beliefs that they are clinging to that are very counterproductive, and but they cling to them so hard, and they some and often they don't even know that that's something that's changeable or that's optional. They just think it's the way it is. They think it's the truth. They just think it's like this is just reality. This is how it works. This is just cool. This is how it is. And so they don't even know that that could be questioned. And so, so if they read a book or listen to something, there there's nobody to like. If they if they if they're unwilling to let that, there's no one that's willing to challenge that or shake that up or or show them or debate that. And 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 so what ends up happening is you skim through these books. Ninety percent of it doesn't really speak to you or apply to you. So you're just skimming through it, looking for like that thing that's going to like be that magic bullet that's going to give you some new tool. And I just don't think that's how mental game works. So anyway, I've been trying and trying and trying to like get closer to finding the right way to help people develop themselves. And and so far, this is my best shot and I feel good enough about it. I did this first one to see if it would be any good and how it would work. And I was, I mean, I, I almost cried. I was so satisfied with how it went. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm willing to make that a thing. So I have an app to probably add it to my website pretty quick. But I, I, so I'm looking for groups of three that we can run through some mental game coaching. And, um, and I think it's a, I, I think that it's a big enough deal to me that I really feel that when it's all said and done, this is going to be my biggest contribution to our pool community. Uh, I, I feel that it's, it's a big deal. And so I can't, I can't handle hundreds or thousands because without, I'd be giving up the one-on-one or the, 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 the personal interaction. Um, but I think a group of three is perfect. I think the reason it's so cool to watch other people in the group is because then when you hear, you see their ideas and the ideas that they're clinging to, and there's something about watching how that breaks down and how that transforms that I think could be really uh, empowering. And, and and we had some moments in these calls that were uh, pretty heavy, man. That was it. So um, so I, if, if you're interested in joining the next session, shoot me an email, again, info at mnpoolbootcamp.com. And Josh, I shot you a, I shot you a video of it uh, because I recorded I record these so that when you're done, by the way, these are all customized, personalized. You're going to get a recording of what we talk about and what we do together, as well as some customized material so that when, you, when we start our session, I want you to tell me, like, what are your challenges during competition and what are your challenges off the table as far as career management? I want And, and everything we talk about is going to be geared towards the things you bring to the table. And at the end, you're going to have like very clarified, clear plans of how to handle those situations that we've rehearsed and practiced. So I just customize and all that, but I don't know. Uh, anything you wanted to say about that or? Well, no, nothing other than, you know, it's awesome what you're doing. 
And uh, I, I really think that because your training schedule is so full, um, which is great, right? But when I when I talk to people, I think this is a good way to get introduced to what you're talking about. And this is a super important aspect of pool. And you have it dialed really, really well. And you have a great way of explaining it. And to do the the small group where everyone's talking and learning and it's just it's a perfect scenario if you could get in there it's it's uh you know it's worth 100x or whatever anyone's paying for it and it's just it's a fantastic opportunity so i i think you know this is stuff that the stuff that you cover is stuff that you know i've been lucky enough to drive around with you for 15 years and talk about this stuff and and uh you know it's very challenging to because a lot of it's based on kind of tamping down your ego and your expectations and and uh kind of narratives false narratives mm -hmm. and so i think uh it's a lot um more impactful to be live with you talking about these things because then if you have like if a person is involved in it and they have a, a pushback you can just talk to them about it and they'll they'll be able to see oh okay now i get how this stuff goes together um that's so yeah. that's it because i think that i think that the same thing with uh the same difference between coaching versus youtube content is a lot of these places show where you want to be like oh you want to be here here's what you want your game to look like or here's what you want your mental game to look like or whatever but it what it doesn't do is show you how to get to there from here so for example i mean it, when you map a place if you just searched what, okay, if I wanted to go to a new restaurant I've never been to before that's in a part of town I'm unfamiliar with, the first thing I'm going to do is search up the address. But then the second thing I'm going to do is get driving directions so I know how to get there. I feel that the problem with YouTube content or mental game books is that they give you the address. They say, here's what it should look like, which is good. It's very good. But the problem is they can't then look at where you're at and say, okay, now here's how you get from there to here. And so when people have these hangups or these, you know, whatever, it's like, it's on them to try to figure out, well, okay, I, I want to feel that way. And I want to think that way, but I don't. And so what do I do? And so that's the part where the customization comes in is I could, I'm the, you know, I'm the guy where I can look at it and say, okay, well, based on where you are, here's, here's where we want to get to. Here's where you're at. Now, here are some things we can do to start changing the way we look at things, the stories we tell ourselves and how we're handling these things that come up to start closing that gap. That's all. Okay. Yeah. And and I didn't mean to make this an infomercial. This is just what's on my heart and what's on my mind. And I just, I, I believe it, man. I wouldn't, this has been life-changing for me. And I know it's been life-changing for you to kind of evolve and mature in our mental games and our, as well as our physical games. And yeah. so I, I just, I want to give it to anybody that, anybody that wants to follow that path. I'm, I want to help. Cool. So speak. So that's the part where we talk about what have you learned um, from working with people? What are some things that you've learned about uh, about the game of pool that might help other people? Um, well, we can talk about uh, I, I shared this with Demi the other day, but it's uh, I, I call it the bl blurry, blurry cue ball. And what this is not, um, it's something that I knew about myself and that I have been working on since kind of working with Demi and being friends with Demi and, and uh, traveling with him is that I've realized that 
in order for my game to improve, I need to have my precision on the cue ball improve. And so I knew that I played pool for many years and got to 700 basically by looking at the cue ball as a quarter zone, basically like four quarters. And I would kind of be and I, and then within that quarter, I might get a little bit more accurate, but in general, I didn't really accurately strike the cue ball. And so I sort of had a blurry or blurry quarter area of the cue ball that I was kind of hitting on. And I was more into focusing on other things, I'd say, uh, about the game and pocketing balls and, and different things. And so once I started working on refining how precise my cue ball is, I started realizing there was a couple things that that I had done um, that I was able to kind of teach other other people. And then when I watch them and I'm working with them and teaching them or uh, training with them, I see that they have the similar, you know, the similar thing going on. So what happens is what I've noticed is that players, I did the same thing. You have an idea of kind of a precise area, maybe, and you think you're hitting the ball on a certain area. And then what happens is you cheat back towards center. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the blurry cue ball and, and mixed with like a cheat back to center kind of thing that, that I've noticed on myself and I've noticed on, on a lot of players. And so that's, that's one of the things that I've, it's kind of pushed me harder to work on drilling more specifically um, when I'm, when I'm hitting drills personally, I'm working on really doing the drills with a precise outcome of the cue ball or, or shot. And so, so that's, that's one of the things I learned is that um, I kind of knew it, but I'm seeing it now more full face is that, that people look at the cue ball more imprecisely if, or whatever you want to call it than they, than they should be. And they also cheat back to center. And, yeah, so, but, so good. So I had no idea, Josh, because this is one of the things I've learned from coaching is just there's a lot of assumptions I make like, well, everybody must do this or everybody must do that because I just I do it and I've learned to do it. But then I've as I've coached, the biggest thing I've learned is that a lot of people haven't learned these things. And and what you told me about how you used to see the cue ball is kind of like a blurry, like quarter size blur. That was mine. And you just told me this two weeks ago. Like, I had no idea. Like, it's almost like if you have 20-20 vision and you're sitting next to somebody and they tell you that they can't read a sign that's 10 feet away, you're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize that people couldn't see like that. You know, uh, my, that's not how I see the cue ball. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty accurate with where my tip is going to hit. And I know, you know, millimeter by millimeter what those incremental adjustments are uh, are going to do to the cue ball's path. And I just... And, and I've worked with people. I didn't really realize that that's what they were experiencing. Uh, but you're right on. So then how about this? What are some – I have a couple ideas, but uh, I'll, I'll let you speak first on this. Is If somebody does see the cue balls – and, and oh, what you said about going back to center, 100%. You know, when people are trying to uh, – or try to put spin on the ball or draw on the ball, a lot of times they – you know, I, I, I've always told people, like, when they're not getting enough draw, it's either one of two things. They're not aiming the tip low enough on the cue ball or they're not actually hitting where they're aiming. And so sometimes you'll have people that are aiming like to the felt and then they shoot and the ball doesn't come back. Like, well, I know I'm aiming low enough. It's like, well, yeah, you're, you're aiming 
probably below the miscue limit you're in. It's not the problem isn't where you're aiming. The problem is where you're hitting. Yeah. And so it's you're definitely right that people can, and the same thing with side spin, they'll try really hard to put on a lot of side spin. And then when they actually shoot, the measles on the cue ball aren't turning at all. Like it's like eighth of a tip of 80. Yeah. So, so what, you know, of course we don't have a pool table. They're not taking a lesson, but is there any tips that you could give people on how to start going from a blurry zone on the cue ball to being more accurate? What did you do or what can you share? Well, what, what I did was, so I'm okay. So I was setting up shots. This, I'm just going to say what I did. I, 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 like if a person is at a different Fargo rate than me, I would have a little bit of a different thing. We could just scale back the distance between the shot. Um, but what I did was I set up a shot that I was concerned about making at an 80% clip. So it's a pretty long, tough shot with a cut at an angle and cue ball is really far away. And so I hit that shot. You know, I go through and I hit these 50 shots like you showed me. This is a big part of the way I'm training right now. And so I would set that shot up. And first, I would make sure that I could pocket the ball at close to that 8% range. And then I started picking a diamond or a zone that was pretty tight to get to. So, so for me hitting a difficult shot that I, that I have a difficult time hitting at 80%. And then if I'm, I can get all the way down to 50%, if I'm not focused and I'm not grinding or I'm not really aiming it and, and visualizing it. If, if I'm, if I'm in that zone with that difficult of a shot, and then I add accuracy in my tip placement to where I'm, I, I'm hitting a shot and I'm going to a specific diamond or a six, a three inch or a four inch zone across table on that diamond. What happens is, I start realizing how accurately I need to hit it. So like you said, if I'm off a, a, a millimeter, a couple millimeters here or there, it's going to change dramatically what's happening with the shot. Same with the thickness of the hit yes. changes it as well. And the speed at which I hit it and all that stuff. But, but what I'm saying is when I'm doing these shots, I'm setting up shots and I'm actually adding an outcome of the cue ball to a difficult shot so that I have to hit the, the cue ball very accurately to get to that positional spot. So then it does two things for me personally, Dummy. It makes sure that I can pocket the ball and focus on an accurate cue ball hit because that's without just going into cinch mode. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, I'm just gonna put this down and deal with what I deal with. Cause right now all I can do is just throw this ball at the hole and hope my run continues. Yeah. Instead, it's like, no, 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 I can't. It's going from cinching the ball. The striking the ball. Yeah. And this really helps my striking and my accuracy of the cue ball through striking. And so now my 50 to 80% shot might be different than someone else's because I pocket the balls pretty well. So if I was to work with somebody or look at it with them, I would get it, I would get them in a position where they're they're outside of their comfort zone a little bit on a shot. And then I would start adding that accurate tip placement with an outcome. So, and, and so I'm going to jump in because I am yeah. going to scale down. I will tell you, uh, getting people off the center of the ball has been a personal quest of mine besides, uh, that besides the mental game, that would be my other thing would be never, ever, 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 ever use center ball. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but, but people that talk about 90% center ball and stuff, that's all straight pool players of the past that could shoot any ball in any pocket and barely move the cue ball around. It's not, if you're playing nine ball, uh, bar table, eight ball, whatever, you got to be able to move the cue ball around and break, you know, do difficult maneuvers. So to learn, to learn better size, and to learn better draw, I'll tell you my, my ringer tips. Cause I, here's what, I, and I've had to do this with a hundred people now. So, Let's talk side spin first. 
I recommend setting up a fairly easy shot. And then seeing where the cue ball goes with center ball. A shot where you're going to be going into a rail. Side spin does not affect the cue ball's path significantly until you hit a rail. So I shoot. I set up a shot where you're shooting a ball in the pocket that's pretty easy to make, and the cue ball is running into the rail. And then I recommend seeing where the cue ball hits a second rail. So suppose you're shooting a cut shot down the rail. Here's one of my shots. You're, you know, put the object ball on the side rail. Put the cue ball such that you're cutting the ball somewhat thinly, maybe 40 degree angle, thinner than half ball. You're running that ball down the rail. Where does it bounce to? Where's the second rail it hits? Okay, now how far to the left of that can you send the cue ball by using maximum left spin? How far to the right of that can you send the cue ball to the second rail using maximum outside right spin uh, if you're cutting the ball to the left? And, and, and so and then you find out what your extremes are. And then you say, okay, well, with inside, I can, I can send my cue ball down to the end rail. And with outside, I can spin it back up more towards the middle of the table. Those are my extremes. Then you can set up some target balls, you know, six, seven different targets, put balls on the second rail, uh, kind of like a wagon wheel drill. This is what I do with my students. I set up balls. Uh, on the second rail. And I say, these are the targets. Now you need to run that ball down the rail and using a rolling cue ball and side spin, pocket that ball and have your cue ball roll and lightly bump each of these targets. Now they're having to work on their aim, their spin with aim, their aim with spin, their ability to generate spin accurately and doing it while controlling their speed. So they're not just slugging the ball, like panic mode, jerking at the ball. Like they have to put it all together, like you're saying. The only difference is they're doing it on a shot that's more to their level yeah. while they're learning these things. So anybody that's interested, I actually have talked about this shot a year ago. I talked about it with uh, uh, one of my students, uh, Michal, that used to be in Poland. Shout out to Michal, uh, the thousand miss challenge. I People talk about how to learn side spin. I've told them, miss this shot a thousand times. So we did that podcast a year ago. I still get emails from people asking about what shot it is and what they should practice. Go ahead and email me, info at mnpoolbootcamp.com. Maybe I can even do a YouTube video of this and post it on my YouTube channel, uh, mnpoolbootcamp. Anyway. So that's, that's a, and I have more than one shot because it's, it, it's important to understand in the beginning, you just learn one shot and what you're practicing is how to actually hit the tip, the cue, you know, how to pocket balls with side spin, how much it's going to deflect and swerve at different, you know, the speed. And then you're just learning the basics of where one shot goes. But I have a few that I work on with people because once they've worked through a couple of them, then they start to see the patterns of how it works on a lot of shots mm-hmm. and the adjustments to make it. It gets, this is what I do in my training, whatever. Okay, so that's how I recommend learning side spin. Very similar to what Josh is saying, just scale down to a beginner's level. Can I make a comment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was working with Chris yesterday. Yes. And I put the ball six inches from the pocket. So the pocketing of the ball was not a big deal. And we worked on side spin. And I wanted that thing spinning, yes. spinning, spinning, spinning. And and this is, you know, live when you're side by side, this is like a boot camp thing for Demi. Uh, it's a huge, it's a big advantage to be able to get that time with, with the, you know, on the table. Um, but if you can picture this, what was happening was I was trying to get Chris to, to hit kind of a six inch from the pocket shot. And it was a flat angle. And I was trying to get him to, to understand the thickness of the hit and the amount of side spin to get that thing, to catch that side rail and go down to the far end rail with this like not arcing, but kind of this really smooth spinning cue ball. And what happened was I think the tendency with people is to draw that ball, drag it up table, drag it up table, drag it up table and to cheat back to center. So I watched Chris hit it 
you know, many, many, not, not dozens of times, but quite a few times. And then I would be able to show him, this is what we're looking for. But, but basically it's what you're saying. It's like set up a makeable shot. And then I was like, I want to see a miscue at least because you're cheating back to center. And so after doing it and, and, and him miscuing a couple times, and then really, really realizing how, how far over you kind of need to be because what was happening is like we were saying, he, he thinks he's aiming off the side of the uh, cue ball, but then when he strikes, it's not spinning as much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like what Demi's saying is right on. It's just, and so put the cue ball near the pocket, I mean the object ball and, and work on getting that thing to go. And one little tip I'd give people because I, I've had people that I've had, uh, I've had a number of students where I actually have to put a blocker ball frozen to the cue ball so that it cuts off every part of the cue ball except for the very extreme side. Oh, that's a cool And, and they, I've yeah. had multiple people tell me that they would have never cued the cue ball there if I hadn't had that blocker ball. Yeah. That they said never in a million years would they ever have gotten that far because it's so much farther off the side of the ball. Than that's they a great tip for people. So, then. To try, but no, yeah, but knowing where that ball. I mean, again, I really just like come on to Minnesota. Let's go. Let's get on the table. Yeah, yeah, Why are we yeah. waiting here? Yeah. What? What are we doing? Why are you listening to a podcast? We should be working our spin right now. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, I get a little fired up. But here's the other tip I want to give people. It's the big knob, little knob on the radio. And this is a killer. Is that when people, when you had the old radios where you had to adjust the station, you had mm-hmm. a big dial that would send the needle from one end of the radio stations to the other. And then you had this fine tuner where you had the right station, but now you're wiggling the needle around to try to pick it up better. That's how pool works with aim. You aim standing up and you get down on the shot well enough that you're probably going to just be able to make the ball even without any practice strokes or adjustments. You try to drop down. In fact, this is a good practice method occasionally to use to see how well you're getting on the ball. Is You just drop down on the ball and then pull the trigger with no adjustments or practice strokes. And get it to where you're because if you're getting down on the ball and then swiveling around and you know double checking your aim and moving your head around and moving your arm around, like that's way too much adjustment for a shot. Now, when you get down on the ball, you're supposed to get down on the ball and pretty much be making the ball. Now, once you're down, if it feels a little bit off or if you want to kind of fine-tune, that's what the that's what the practice strokes are for, is to connect with the feel of the shot, make fine-tuned, small little adjustments like feel like it's a little thick. I'm just going to kind of like just a little bit. Ah, it feels good. But you can't make big sweeping cue changes and head changes once you're down on the shot. The reason this applies a lot to side spin is that when people are first learning side spin, they get down on the shot where they're aiming it correctly and their tip is too close to center. And then they're like, oh, I need side spin. So they start moving their tip out. But as they do, now they're not making the shot anymore. And so then they feel like they're overcutting the ball, say. So then they try to like go back to where they're making the shot. And as they go back to making the shot, their tip swivels back in the center. And so it's like this really painful thing where, so there's a couple, so eventually you have to get to the spot where you're, you're, this is my tip, come down with your tip where you want it on the cue ball. Uh, So look at the spot on the cue ball where you actually want to hit. And then think about where that needs to be aimed, adjusted for swerve and deflection. And when you get down on the cue ball, you should be getting, so if you're going to be using a lot of right spin, you should be getting down with your tip on the right side of the cue ball, aiming at that ball. And then you can kind of fine tune from there. Now, if you have to make minor adjustments, fine. But if you start making big adjustments, just stand back up, kind of do a little airstroke reset and try to drop back down to where you wanted to be. Uh, I know that there's people that talk about you know pivot systems or aiming everything center and then using backhand English. I will tell you, most top players, I don't, I, I, I don't want to get into it. I'll just say 
I'm not going to get into a debate about backhand pivot systems. And if anybody uses that stuff, I will just tell you the players I know don't. And if I'm teaching you, I'm going to tell you not to use that. I'm going to say, try to get down on the ball where you want to be adjusted for deflection with your tip and aim in the right spot. And if you can't do it, then practice it until you've missed it 50 or 60 times and then you will be able to. And that's, that's my advice. Um, don't email me to disagree and tell me about how your, your shaft of the 14 inch pivot. I don't want to hear it. Uh, I'm just telling people what I teach. Mm -hmm. So if you don't agree, you can go to, uh, go to somebody that teaches a backhand pivot system. You go to the Philippines or whatever. All right. So that's my tip on side spin. I have a tip on backspin. My tip on backspin is don't pocket balls because when you pocket balls, it disguises how much power you're using. So, okay, so when you're shooting a ball in and you're trying to figure out how far the cue ball is drawing, there's two variables that are going to affect how much the back cue ball backs up. Tip position and swing speed. Now, of course, you could talk about external barriers like the distance on the shot, the conditions of the cloth. But assuming that you set up the same shot in the same position on the same cloth, now we're down to two variables you control, tip position and swing speed. Well, when people practice draw shots where they're pocketing the object ball, it disguises how much force they're using on those shots. So they might hit, say they shoot a straight in shot and they draw back two feet. Well, there's no way for them to know if they hit it with a pure zippy draw and a nice finesse draw, or if they use like a quarter tip below center and hit it at break speed and the thing just rocked back two feet because they blasted the ball in with poor technique and form. And it doesn't tell them where they're hitting their tip. So my advice is put the cue ball on the kitchen line. Put the object ball in front of the side pocket line. So in other words, you're, you're two diamonds away. Maybe the object ball's in the middle of the table. And you're, and you're, shooting, you're shooting straight at the ball. And you're going to aim the ball such that it doesn't pocket. It's going to hit the end rail and bank to the end rail you're standing by. So in other words, if it's a bank shot where the cue ball or the object ball is going to bank end rail, end rail, end rail without a kiss. Give yourself a little bit of angle and let that object ball bank up and down table. And now you're two diamonds away. And practice drawing back two diamonds such that that object ball doesn't hit a third rail. It hits end rail, end rail, and ends up back in the middle of the table. Now, this is all messy. It would be a lot easier with a pool table. But my point is whether or not we have exact the same picture in our heads of how these shots are set up or how far they should go. The point is if you practice drawing your ball where you're not pocketing the ball, you're banking the ball, you will be able to see vividly by watching how far that object ball rolls, how much you're using low tip versus how much you're using force. And if you hit a few where you have a nice lively draw and the ball comes zipping back two, three, four diamonds and that object ball's floating up and down table, then you'll know, oh, that's a good hit. And then if you get down and start blasting it backwards and that object ball is hitting four or five rails, you'll know that's not right. And it just tells the truth. It tells the truth where I think a lot of people that pocket balls, they end up, they end up forcing the ball back using way too much force. And they don't even, they're not even getting the feedback of how inaccurate their tip is. So that's my suggestion. Uh, again, if you guys have questions about either of these, email me. Uh, I can, I can do a YouTube video, I suppose. Uh, but uh, that's, those are my tips on how to help develop better tip accuracy. And I would just add to this an overall thought, Demi, which is the reason why you need to be out on the cue ball, spinning the ball, and the reason why you need to have an accurate tip placement and do the what you're talking about, the draw shot, and it's basically minimum necessary force. Like pool, I feel like is played 
at, at a high level with minimum necessary force. And so you'd be surprised, or I'm, I, I'm always surprising students with how lightly they need to hit the ball. And they can do that by hitting it thinner, leaving more of an angle. They can also do that by hitting it smoother and just getting more accurate with their tip placement. Or with the side spin, you can really smooth the ball around the table. And the softer you're able to hit the ball, the more accurate your ball pocketing is as well as the uh, your tip placement accuracy uh, too. A hundred percent because, yeah, and, and I, there's so much I could say on this that I can't even start. Uh, that podcast I did a year ago with Michal was a pretty good one to go listen to about angles and spin versus full angles and backspin. But um, in any case, for people that are trying to fundamental their way or pocket their way and work on their stroke and pocketing and power game up to the top, usually what I've seen from my students is that they've taken that cycle as far as it's going to go, but they have not even started the swim part. They have not even started to develop their tip accuracy with side spin and draw, not nearly to the level it can be developed. And so for this is an example where sight unseen, I don't know who you are, but odds are that by developing that, uh, that's going to be the next leg of your journey where you're actually going to see rapid improvement because it's going to give you much better control over your cue ball. And people that ask me about patterns, they always want to work on patterns. And it's like the problem is for a lot of people, they can't work on patterns without the right cue ball maneuvering tools because if, if your only tool is a hammer, the whole world looks like, like a nail. They've only got a basic skill set as far as cue ball tools that they can count on. So then it's like, well, how you can't build good patterns when you don't have the right tools. And so I think that if you build the right tools, then it would be, I, I use this analogy. If somebody, all they knew how to do, if it was a beginner and all they knew how to do was follow, all they knew how to do was roll the cue ball with center ball. Well, then they'd play some interest. If they have ball on hand and they're solids, they'd play some very surprisingly odd patterns because they're trying to figure out how you can roll the ball, the ball and how, how many balls they can run by rolling. And if somebody looked at that, they'd be like, well, that's a weird pattern to choose. And then if that person said, well, help me with my patterns, the first thing you'd have to do is say, well, first we got to add stop shots, stun shots. You know, we're, we're missing some tools here. Yeah. And when people ask me to help them with their patterns, a lot of times their patterns aren't bad. Their patterns are actually really good for the limited. I mean, they're actually optimized for their limited tool set. Yeah. So the first thing I have to do is build a better cue ball tool set. And then once they have a better cue ball tool set, now we can look at how can we play patterns a little bit more effectively using the right tools for the right job. But it all has to start with cue ball tools and, mm -hmm. and tip accuracy is how you start that leg of the journey or continue that leg of the journey. Yes. Good. Okay. Well, then I'll add one. It's similar. In fact, I'm going to take a sip of this soda. <laughs> Actually, what is this? LaCroix. I, I gave up soda a year ago. It's nice. sparkling water. It's still probably bad for me, but at least no, the, no, the, guilt, the guilt, the guilt is less. Good. Okay. This All right. It's like regular water. I'm, I'm a, I'm a health, I'm, I'm, I'm doing You're my yoga. What yeah, <laughs> exactly. is that goodwill hunting? He's like, yeah, it really interferes my yoga. Anyway. Okay. You talked about blurry cue ball. Something I've learned is that people are very blurry with their cue ball targets. So when they're going to play position, most most people go through kind of an evolution where in the beginning they don't play position at all. And then they go to one of two spots that neither one work really well. And I want to talk about this. 
they do one of two things. They do, and I wish you guys could see this. It looks like take your hand and do like a like a like your like a sand the floor karate kid thing where they're like they're if they want to say like I'm like where do you where are you trying to send the cue ball? They take their hand and they wave it in a circle over like a quarter of the pool table, like yeah, kind of somewhere in here, you know. They kind of <laughs> like their arms kind of waving around that indicates like it could be almost a third of the pool table that they just waved over. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna send it, kind of send it somewhere out in here. Okay. I, it, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We got to start. We got It's okay. Wherever you're at, it's okay. As long as we move forward together, mm -hmm. as long as we move forward. So that the, the, the hand wave, it's not, 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 not good. Now what's also not good though, is to do the other extreme where you kind of do some little douchey cue wipe and then point your Q-tip out of a spot and be like, I am going to send a cue ball here. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely here. And that doesn't work either. Why does that not work, Josh? Because I've tried it and it doesn't work. <laughs> it screws up your game. It's a, it's a, it, it just, it's a monkey tilting way to play. Well, the, the problem is you can't hit a dime. Yeah. So the, the problem with trying to, I'm going to play my cue ball to a dime is that you can't hit a dime. Now I'm going to sound like I'm talking on two sides of my mouth. Cause here a minute ago, I was talking about setting up target balls and practicing until you hit those dimes, but there's a difference. The difference is, are we talking about developing our cue ball tools where are we talking about developing patterns? Let's see if this, let's, okay, I've got this. I'm in the zone. I'm starting to catch the zone. If you want to improve your pocketing, you practice difficult shots that require striking accuracy. But then when you play pool, you try to leave yourself the easiest shots possible with the biggest margins of error possible, right? Practice difficult, try to keep it easy. So when we're developing our cue ball, practicing to hit a dime is very useful when we're practicing developing our cue ball. But when we're competing and try to run tables, we don't want to try to hit a dime. We want to try to play our patterns so that we have these large, soft, cushy landing zones that we can actually hit. So people that play to hit a dime, the problem is they can't hit the dime. And if you play a pattern to where I'm going to go three rails and stop on that dime, but then if you come six inches short or six inches too far, you're hooked. Well, that pattern is not going to work very well. So the trick is, yes, we practice our cue ball to get it very accurate. But then when we play our patterns, we play our patterns so that we have the biggest landing zones possible. But the biggest landing zones possible is not a vague arm wave over a third of the pool table either. So that's why playing to a dime doesn't work. And that's why the, the arm wave doesn't work is because the arm wave is too vague. So it's almost like Goldilocks and the porridge. The arm wave, the porridge is just too cold. And the and the, the dime is too hot. So, okay. So then what's the right answer? And I've got a I've got an idea, but I'm, I'm before I run you over, anything you want to say about this? I <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess. The, 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 you just touched on the thing that I wanted to say as an overall training strategy or approach, and I've got this through experience. Um, and so, training you want to you want to practice real precise, real small, to some extent. Um, but then, when you're playing and you're and you're competing, you, you want to have you want to expand out your zone, of course and come in at the right angles and entering the zones correctly and all that stuff. So what happens is you want to be training precisely, but you want to be able to let go of that and compete a little bit more loose. And so not so loose that you're waving your hand over a quarter of the table, but you want to go from the dime thing to 
an overall strategy of getting into the zone, the, a, a smallish zone with the best possible way you can, and then letting it go if you don't hit the zone and then being able to recover. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's, it, it, I'm just trying to say like, how do you not get trapped into Thank overthinking? You. There's you know? a balance. And so there's a balance. And what's really, really tough is that there's, it's a very complicated game. And if you're worried about every inch of the cue ball and every shot, you're really burning out and you're making the game way too tough and you're asking for too much on certain shots. So there's some things where you have to be able to prioritize and say, hey, you know what? The four ball sitting in front of the pocket, I can make the three ball from a lot of areas. Even if I get, I, you know, I kind of know where I want to be, but if it's, it's not the highest priority in the world to get ball on hand ankle on the three. On the other hand, there's times when this ball only goes in one pocket. It's hard to get on. And I really need a good angle on the ball before it to make sure I can make that pivot. And I need a, to be pretty accurate on the ball before it to give myself a chance to make this tricky pivot. In fact, my whole game may hinge on that. I have to spend a little time and break that down or really be demanding. And so so sometimes you have to flake on and flake off. And so the the knowing how to balance that all out takes practice and experience and development of there's a there's a journey, it's a journey and 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 that's a development, but there's definitely an importance, which is you have to practice things and learn these things. And then the way that we just like you practice pocketing difficult shots, but you don't want to have to shoot difficult shots on every shot you practice difficult you know accurate cue ball maneuvers but you're not trying to put that much pressure on your cue ball similarly you practice when we do our pattern practice we should be practicing our patterns so that we're really developing how we see the table and how we create zones and how we make these decisions so that we have the right recognition but we practice it not so that we go play and then we're going to sit there and draw boxes on the table with our tip but so that we don't have to do that when we play because we've done it enough to where it just the zones kind of stand out to us without much effort and we can kind of play a flowy game. That's not as controlled. Like that's, that's kind of the thing, but, but it's, we're not going to get there without a pool table in one podcast in 10 minutes with a, with a wide variety of audience members listening. So I, I think it's a very good point though, that, that you, nothing. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. The only thing I would add to that Demi is that I don't know why this is kind of ringing in my head other than through my personal experience and trying to share it with people is that this stuff, I use the word organic to where Demi wants to punch me in the face, but sometimes, but like this, I look at pool and, and learning and in, in your learning brain mind and how it applies to your game as you work on these precise things and you have to let go of these expectations that you're all of a sudden a precise player. It's going to organically enter mm -hmm. your game. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not, I, I'm a guy that was, a <laughs> you're not, you're not going to go to the table and be like, now I am a pattern playing robot. Well, I will get myself ball in hand and carve through these people and show them what sophisticated pool looks like. Like not yeah. at all. And, and I did that. Yeah, yeah, I did that for, for money for many many times many years oh, yeah. and it was so frustrating and it killed my game and it frustrated me to the point where i didn't even want to play anymore at times because i knew that i needed a better cue ball i knew i couldn't be a, a blurry cue ball guy if i wanted to get above where i am or move forward and, and project and, and, and progress in the game and so i got on this mindset where i'm a precise player i'm a precise player like i've got like and i hear this with a lot of people that call me and talk to me and you probably hear it too you want the one magic bullet that's going to change everything right and especially me when i've been playing for 30 plus years at a pretty high level i wanted i felt like i had so many tools i just need that final tool right and the the problem is 
is that I do need a better cue ball, but just telling myself that I'm going to have a super tight cue ball and I'm going to play these really precise patterns and this is the new me, it's it doesn't work that way. It, it The way it works is that I needed to train in those areas and then let go of that and then have it seep and sort of enter my game in smaller chunks over time. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen over weeks. It happens over months and years. And I just think that that's one thing I want people to understand is when we're working on these things and we're trying to improve in these areas, it can happen relatively quick. And it happens quicker when you're coming up and you're newer in the game. But as you spend more time and as you get better, it, that process slows down. And it's okay that that process slows down because it's still a learning process and it's still fun and still challenging, but you just have to relax about it and let put in your really, really, really hard work and then know that it might only come up in a couple times in a set or a couple times in a six hour session or whatever, you know, it's like, it's not just going to be all of a sudden you're a different player and why isn't this happening fast enough and all those things. It's like, this is the learning process. You work really hard on these things and then you let it go and then you go play and compete and you hope that it enters in, which it will, because input equals output, as you say. And so it will enter. It just might not enter at the pace that you think it should. And that's okay because the reality is it's going to enter your brain and your mind and your conscious um, over time and, and, and at its own rate. Yes. No, no, a hundred percent. And the only thing I'd uh, a couple of thoughts on this is, the idea of being in balance to where you're not too loose, but you're not too tight. It's like, look, if if you are going to learn to improve your cue ball and work on things and develop these things, you're going to make mistakes with balance. There will be times when you're too tight and you're like, man, I should have, I was, that was too controlling, too tight. That was not effective. And then you're going to go back and it's going to be too loose and not nearly tight enough. And then there's going to be times when you get impatient and you wish that it will all come together today. Like, so even though he's saying these are the mistakes to try to avoid, I just don't know that they can avoid those mistakes. I don't think anybody's going to grow on their pool journey. And so I actually think to add one more expectation to let go of, you're saying let go of the expectations of how quick it's going to happen or how it's going to look. And I'm saying you even have to let go of the expectations that you're going to let go of expectations because there's going to be times that it's, you're going to get impatient. There's going to be times you're going to be frustrated. There's going to be times when you feel like, man, these adjustments aren't working or I, I'm overdoing it or I'm not in balance. I just don't know that you're going to grow and develop without going through those cycles. And so be aware of it so that you can kind of, when you find yourself being impatient, you can let go of it. And when you find yourself out of balance, you can kind of go, go back to balance. So being aware of those things is important so that you know how to steer when you're there. But I just think that, I think that it's important to talk about not because they're going to avoid those mistakes, but so that they know that when that comes, they're coming. Like, those mistakes those are, are That's what you're going to face. Yes. And so then you got to be ready to face that. Yeah. Take a deep breath, let it go. Keep going back to your, your center line balance game as best you can and, and smile and keep trying. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So read Josh, give me some Boom. fist pump. This is what, this is my man right here. Josh Burble, Josh Burble. God, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to have Josh Burble as my best friend. Oh, go on. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, okay. So then here's, here's the way I look at it. There was a chess teacher that said this, and I love this quote It's my, one of my favorites. He said, you're only as good as your questions. And it's just so cool. So getting right into it, this is, there's not pattern play is complicated and I could, I can speak a high level about pattern play with anybody that wants to geek out, but I'm not telling the, I can't tell the whole picture, but I can tell an intro to creating targets. 
So we talked about how do you create targets on the cue ball and how do you learn the cue ball? Well, now how do you create targets on the table? So here are a few questions that you can use to try to identify a clear target that you're trying to send your cue ball to. That's not a vague area and it's not a point. So here's how it works. The first question is, where would you like to be? So then that point that you'd put your tip down, where would you point your tip? Okay, great. Now we got our dime. Problem, of course, is we can't hit that dime. So now the next question is, we got to turn this from one dimension. Is that one? Yeah, to two and then to three. No, three dimensions. We don't need three. You're not going to jump and float the cue ball. Okay, we got to get this to two dimensions. So the first thing you ask yourself is, the second thing we ask ourselves, where do we want to be? Now we say, how far back can we be? on that line. So, you know, you put your cue ball, right? You put your dime there. That's where you want to be. Now, if you were on the same angle, but you just back the cue ball up six inches, 12 inches, 18 inches, how far back can you be where you still like your shot? You know, where you still feel like if you got there, you'd be like, yeah, I'm good. Not, yeah, I can still do it. And eh, I can still be done. But like, no, I, I like it here. Okay. Now you ask yourself, okay, go back to your dot. How far to the left can I be? and still like it. Okay, and now there's one more. How far to the right can I be and still like my angle? So how much fuller can I be? How much thinner can I be? How much further back? And when you've done that, you've just drawn a zone. And that zone should kind of look like a cone with the, the pointy end near the object ball cut off a little bit because you don't want to be right on top of the object ball. But that's what you do. You start with the point, you back it up, the furthest back you want to be, the furthest left you want to be, the furthest right you want to be, and now you have a zone. Okay. Now, there's a limit to how far I'm going to go with this, but that's those are some good starter questions to ask. I will give a couple of pro tips, again, without a table, without a student that's working with me. It's really hard, but here's a couple of additional tips. The next thing you can do is look at that zone and say, is that zone big enough that I can hit it? That's a good question to ask. Hey, you know, if you're shooting a shot where you're going to shoot a ball on the side and follow forward four or five inches into that zone, you might look at that zone and be like, yeah, I can hit that zone. But if you're cutting a ball in the corner and coming two rails, crossing the line of position, you might look at that and be like, yeah, that zone looks a little tough to hit. So now if that zone looks a little tough to hit, the next question you can ask is, if I miss this zone, would I rather miss it? Which side would I prefer to miss it on? The back side, the left side, or the right side? Well, boy, if I miss it backside, it gets a little tougher. If I miss it on the left side, I'm hooked. Oh, okay. Well, now we need to expand our zone big enough that you can feel confident that you can. We need to get your zone big enough to where you say, yeah, by cue ball, I can hit that zone now. So you look for ways to expand the zone so that it's big enough that you can hit it. Now, then it gets, then it gets further complicated because then at some point, Maybe there's no way to expand a zone that you're confident you can hit it, which means maybe you're better off trying to create a different zone, play for a different pocket, use a different positional maneuver, accept a more difficult pocket or a more difficult shot because you know you can at least get on it. Maybe the table layout is such that there's no better way to go and you're just going to have to accept that you're not 100% to hit that zone and, and that you know not every run is 100% for anybody and that this might be a table-created adversity that there's no simple solution for other than you're going to have to come with it. Uh, there might be times when... Uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of things we can talk about, but that's because you can't teach patterns in five minutes anonymously over the interweb. But that's not my goal. My goal is to start people thinking about how to go from a blurry area or a point to a zone. And by understanding those questions, 
Where would I like to be? How far back? How far to the left? How far to the right? That's a clear picture of where I'd want to be. And then if I can't get there, you know, can I get there? That's the next question. And if I can't, is there a place I can miss the zone where it's still workable? And, and then if, is that enlarged, do enlarge zone big enough that I feel confident I can get there? If not, is there maybe another pocket to play for or another route to take? Those are all follow-ups that are down the road. But I just wanted to kind of, if people started creating pictures in their mind of zones correctly, I feel like in their practice, again, when you're playing, you know, I, I, I don't know that I do this when I play, but I do it without thinking the same way that if you had an object ball hanging in the corner and you had to shoot it in, you wouldn't follow that ball in. you would stop the ball or cheat the pocket and hit the end rail. You wouldn't follow that ball in, but you wouldn't consciously be like, Hmm, there's a corner pocket scratch there. How do I avoid that? You wouldn't even have to think about it. You just cut the ball a little bit and not follow it in. Like I create, tar I will just tell people I create targets, clear, crisp, defined targets on every shot I shoot but I don't even know I do it. I just see them. It's the same way you guys see the felt and you see the same way you see the object balls. I see these targets on the table without thinking. Uh, and I very rarely have to consciously give a lot of effort to it. So I don't, I can't speak to how to blend this into your game. All I can speak to is when you practice, it, this is some questions that you can practice asking to help define where you're trying to send your cue ball. And I learned it though, by, by doing this, this is what I did is I set up specific runs drew out these targets, figured out exactly how I wanted to go from ball to ball and worked on it. And after a certain amount of time, now I just see glowing patches of table. And, and I think that's how it's going to be for them as well. Like that, that's what's going to happen. And that's what we were talking about. You board on the, you work on it small and then it comes into your game. And I would just, if I can add to that, Demi, yeah. real quick, the, the one thing from a training perspective, and this is like a little thing that you could do as a drill, come up with the zone, like, like Demi just explained, and then figure out the shot line that you do not want to go past. And, and what I would do is I would set up two balls with a zone that you're coming in along that, that line. And I would practice airing to the correct side of the shot line. And so what I see people doing, and uh, this is going out to Andy. <laughs> so shout out to Andy. This is what I was imploring Andy to do when we were, after we were practicing is that I want to see what I would, what I'd like to see is, is what I was telling Andy was I want to see him really putting all his focus to airing on the correct side of the shot line or the correct side, you know, with, when he's coming into the zone. And I think it's important to, to work on as a tip to work on making sure that you can hit, you can set up a shot that that's going to have a zone and then just make sure that you try that shot 10 times and that of those 10 times you're not crossing over that shot line so, so you're yeah. airing to your secondary yes. zone basically and you're habitually airing to your second and, zone and, and and so a couple of things so to translate that into a question this is a question of uh, again when i was saying if we aren't confident that we can hit this good zone which you know how can i add to it is it better to add here add there i think josh is asking a question you know is it better to come short or go too far and and that's a i'm trying to translate this into questions that people can ask you're only as good as your questions that's a very important question which side am i better airing now i will tell people where you can eventually get to if you're a pattern geek i i don't see numbers okay i don't see numbers like percentages like picture, you know, picture that zone. I don't see it where if you're on this side of the zone, it goes from 98% to 96% to 95%. And then if you cross this line, it goes to 80%. I don't see it exactly like that. 
any more that a golfer sees the green that way. But I do see like, I do see I by zone very clearly, but it's almost like if you could color code the table where I see like the, the bright, you know, the bright spot where I know that if I hit that, I'm like 95% plus. And then I see like the areas where it gets like a different shade. Green, yellow, like, orange, red. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I literally see, I, I don't, I shouldn't say literally, I don't actually see different colors, but I see, I see the zones. It's like, if you had to draw it out and I do this with my students, by the way, is I have them draw out the purple zone, the blue zone and the red zone. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting to see the shapes of them and how they work and how, if you get near the rail that turns into this, but then if you get over that ball that it turns into that, so that if you have, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see the topography, the, topography of the of the uh the target and what it looks like when you kind of color code it by danger not much danger minimal danger and and it's really cool and it's like so if you take the time to develop that vision so the problem with most people is they just see it's very binary they see either position or no position which is like caveman like it's very caveman how i think people look at it like i can still make the ball and get shape if i landed there Versus, oh, I can no longer make the ball and get shaped because I'm hooked or, you know, I can't. And so some people like, oh, I know I'm not to cross the shot line or I know I don't want to be straight. But like a lot of people are very much like it's either terrible or workable. Like those are their two options. It's terrible or workable. And I'm like, I got these shades of gray with like patches of really good spots and then all these things. And, and I just think when people think about it as it's workable or it's terrible, the problem with that is, okay, here's the problem with that. You want to get better. You can only develop, you can only take that cycle so far. The shot making fundamentals cycle can only go so far. So then the areas that you can improve, I I, I tell people, you can't practice a 75% shot so long that you turn it into a 95% shot. You can't practice a balance beam until until it turns into where it feels like a sidewalk. It just doesn't work. So what you have to do is for the advanced players, I'm talking to the guys that are 600 plus Fargo mostly, for the advanced players, the game, you're not going to get better at doing what you already know how to do. But if there are spots in that zone that are 95%, and then there's spots that are 75, and there's spots that are become 50 or less, you have to start hitting the sweet spots that are 95% more often. Because if you're hitting 75% twice a game, that's 50-50 on whether you're going to run the balls out. And then every rack is 50-50. And, you, you know, and every once in a while, every 30 days, you, you run five in a row because it comes up heads, 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 heads. Every 32 attempts. Every 32 attempts, you run five in a row. But but the other 31 times, you're going to leave yourself too many testy spots, too many testy shots, too many testy maneuvers, and it's not, or too many hooks, or it's not going to work. And then you're going to be like, man, I, need to, I already know how to play because I ran five racks last month. I just need to work on my consistency. Yeah, well, consistency comes from avoiding the spots that look workable and getting to where it's not workable, it's really good. And so... For my beginners, for the guys that are like just learning to play position a little bit, I would say those zone questions that I was talking about are the ones that are important. It's what questions do we ask to start creating zones? But then for guys like Andy and for other advanced players that could could already do stuff, we have to go from seeing things as either terrible or workable and start thinking about things as far as like, what's the actual good zone that I need to hit to be more consistent? And how can I, you know, how can I start? clarifying where mm-hmm. that so anyway and i and i think what i was saying demi is that if you look at it as like a red green um yellow orange or something like that yeah i, I think that what i was trying to say is i want to see people in the green zone 
and I want to see people airing to the yellow zone. That's it. Once they cross that shot line, they're red zone and they're flat typically. And and you know, we went you went through that thing, uh, the group on getting an angle. And so I'd like to see people, I'd like to see them coming up in that yellow zone and and hitting hitting the green zone, but airing to the yellow and zone. And I think and staying yeah. off the red. That's hundred percent and hundred percent. And I think that the other thing that you're practice that I think the other thing you want to say is that a lot of good players don't realize how quickly the shot becomes yellow and then red. Because what happens is there's two questions about when you get on the ball. One is, can I still pocket it comfortably? And the other question is, can I still play shape for my following ball comfortably? But the answers to those questions change at different rates. There's a lot of spots where you can get on the ball where you can still comfortably pocket it, but you can no longer obtain position on the next ball. And generally what we're talking about is when you need to move the cue ball and you get too flat on the object ball you're shooting, it becomes increasingly hard to move the cue ball with control. So what happens is there is a good players like Andy are lulled into getting too full because they're measuring their percentages based on what their make percentage on the ball they're playing shape for is. Mm -hmm. And the make percentage is still really, really high, but their positional opportunities for their next shot, that percentage plummets. And they haven't realized that there's a, that the, that the, the shot percentage is still looking so high enough that it lulls them into thinking it's still workable. And because they're good enough at their power draws that they can still sometimes get there, but they don't realize the, the, their positional success rates are plummeting as they get a little too flat. So what, what I know what you're thinking is you can't just draw those the red zone, orange zone, yellow, green. You can't just draw that zone based on how you can pocket the next shot, but it's about how comfortable and controlled can you hit the target following that. Yeah, and I would say you're airing to that. You want to get to the green. But there's a side that's that's uh, that's yellow, and it's usually the thin side. And it's usually the thin <laughs> when you, side when you need to move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Until you, so you get to move the cue ball around. So if you're constantly airing to that yellow side and floating into the green side, that is that's kind of optimal because you're going to be a lime green at worst, or sometimes full yellow. Versus once you cross over, if you're not careful, you're red right away, and that and you're flat and you're screwed, and the game's you're now you're in a safety battle. On an open rack. <laughs> on an open yeah. rack, yeah. And, 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 so. and, and the re- and this all ties back to cue ball tools. The reason why people do this a lot of the time is because they don't have the cue ball tools to handle thin cuts with side spin to move their cue ball around. Uh, and draw doesn't work well on thin angles and stuff because of the speed required. And no. it doesn't control the cue ball as well. So the bottom line is it, it gets complicated really, really quick. I'm sure I've lost some people. And not all of this is going to be immediately practical. So this is why it's not a complete, hey, we just taught everybody how to play pool. It's not it at all. But we have to, ha, 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 draw the line somewhere. And we don't want to go over that. I don't want to cross into the red line. So the the point is, I can't, Every everything I say, and then there's exceptions, then there's what if about this, and what if I do? So, I mean, I could teach people everything. That's why I do three-day boot camps. But the bottom line, not that I say I teach everybody everything. But the point is, is that in a podcast, we just, we have to stop at some point. Yeah. And so- there's always exceptions and caveats and concerns that don't fall into this trap. And that, but but I would just say, when it comes to target creation, where would I like to be? How far back? How far to each side? You've got a starter zone. And then if you're more advanced, you can start asking yourself, if I can't hit that zone, where would I like to miss on? Yeah. What is that? Where's the additional yellow zone to add to the green zone? And then and then that can start your brain down some good paths. And then uh, there's plenty more we can talk about with pool. So we'll call we'll, it oh, there. Nice. So then now everybody knows how to play patterns and their cue balls perfect. <laughs> so okay, so then um yeah, we've talked about quite a bit. Um 
I'm, I'm going to just change it up and talk about one idea that occurred to me because I've got one or two things that are just new ideas that have occurred to me in the last week that I thought I'd share with people. So I'll start with one, which is that you were talking about like expectations and control and kind of like, and I was thinking, and you know, we, we mentioned ego, we've talked about narratives and ego. I think that I, the mental game side of things and how we look at our pool game, I think that people make a mistake with their pool game that is similar to how some parents make a mistake with some of their kids. And that has to do with, I I think that a, a relationship with your pool game should be like a healthy parent-child relationship as opposed to an unhealthy one. So an unhealthy parent-child relationship, suppose a dad's got his kid in Little League. Or, you know, maybe it's maybe not just Little League. Maybe his, his kid is, uh, you know, playing high school sports. And that dad is feeding off his son's performance. Like, <clears throat> my son is, you know, the starting pitcher. Or my son has the best batting average. Or my son is being scouted. And my son is, is super special and super awesome. And he, my son was MVP. And my son won state last year. My son's going to be on varsity this year. What, like, whatever. It's just like, okay. There's so then there's like a natural pride, like, yeah, awesome. My son's having fun. I'm really proud of him. He's working hard. He's accomplishing things. I'm really excited that he's having a good journey. I'm really proud of him. I'm, I'm happy he's happy. I'm happy he's happy. But that's not me. And I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm some, I'm some, you know, in like, so people struggle with significance, right? People struggle with the fact that we're all insignificant specks of dust that are going to be, not only are we going to be forgotten about in 20 years, but even the people that are going to forget about us are going to be forgotten about and that we're like, people struggle with insignificance and mortality. And, and so a lot of people, the way that they're going to, the, the way that they're going to battle that is like, well, that may be true for everybody else in the world, but I'm going to be different and I'm going to be special and I'm going to be superior and I'm going to be important. And the way I'm going to do that is by, is by my son is my son is you know these other guys at work they their sons not winning tournaments and what did you guys do this weekend oh that's funny because what I did is I took my son to this and he's what he did he drove it you know people get so people that live through their kids and then and then and then the way that they raise their kids it's like well now they're very demanding with their kids and they're very hard and you got to do this because you need to do this for me. You need to win because I need a winner as a son, because I want to be the dad that has the winner as a son, you know, all that stuff. I don't need to spell it out. Right. Like that's all this. It's very weird to see. Well, I feel that people do that with their pool games. And I feel I've been toying with the idea that people need to look at, you need to look at your pool game. Like it's not you, man. It's not you. You're you. You're, you're relatively unimportant and un insignificant and pool's kind of arbitrary and doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. And there's, and you know what? And if you play good pool, that's fine. But I could go, to, I could bring you to a tournament where there's 200 people that play better than you ever dreamed of. And there's never a level of pool that you're going to achieve. That's going to matter. That's even going to register on the scale of, of, of what that pond looks like. So, so what are we doing here? And it's like, well, I don't know, raise your pool game. Like, okay, I'm going to stop. What are your thoughts about that statement? Well, um, I would say just to add to it is your pool game needs to be for you. It can't be to find significance. It has to be 
so that you enjoy it. This is what I found for myself, Demi. When I was able to get away from what my pool game means from a Fargo right standpoint, from an achievement standpoint, from a, you know, what are people saying about me or not saying about me, all that stuff. And I was able to just start playing pool um, for me. Then the game became a lot more enjoyable, a lot more interesting. My learning mind turned on, my critical mind shut down more. And, and I was able to, to uh, have better results in my game and then i was able to look at it and be happy for the work i put in the input that i put in and when i have some high water marks now i just look at them i'll maybe send you a message or something and i'll be like hey i did this and then i just move on with my life and i i know that that doesn't change who i am because who i am is not based on what i can do on a pool table it's based on who I am as a person, my character and my integrity. And so I'm starting to realize that as I get older, you know, and it's, I'm 50 now, so it helps getting older and experiencing what doesn't work. But, but yeah, I think that, that that's, that's for me, that's been effective and that's been good and that's been more enjoyable for me. And it's kept me off the roller coaster of the uh, results roller coaster, you know, and and I, and I, we were talking about kids and, and that's the way I look at my kids and raise my kids. It's like, they need they, their character and who they are and their integrity is much more important than what they do. And so if they're having fun doing what they do, then I want to encourage that. And I want to support that. And I want to um, be around for that, but it's, they're going to determine their outcome based on how much input they put into it. And their input is based on how much, fun they have with it, not based on how I'm pumping them up or connecting my love or my acceptance or my support with their, their output and stuff. So I, I don't know. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that, uh, I think that some of the ideas that follow are like when you're looking at, okay, if, if your kid is so like there, first of all, there's things you have to do for your children. You have to make sure that they're, you know, provided for that they get meals that they get quality time, that they get a good example set for them and maybe some some guidance on on morals or, you know, helping them understand, you know, uh, develop positive, you know, belief structures and things. So you have to like model good things. And, and so it's like you have it as a parent. There's for sure there's an active role. And if we wanted to go with the example of a son who's competing in, in sports, you might have to, you know, pay to, to get the right equipment and to get the right opportunities and to get the right coaching because coaching is important <laughs> anyway. Uh, but, and you might have to, you might have to spend time driving the games and you might have to, you might have to sit with them and listen to them, um, you know, talk about what went well and what didn't go well. And at sometimes there might even be a role where you have to show them some things about the game or give them some ideas about the, the, the mental game or the physical game and give them some guidance when it's appropriate, when they need it. So you do have, as a parent, you do have an active role to play in raising your child. And there's also a reasonable level of a natural level of, of joy that comes from that. So that when your kid becomes successful and you watch him do something he couldn't have done before or she, and you see them do things and, and grow in, in, in impressive ways and hit, you know, you can look at them and admire the person they're becoming and saying, you know what? I'm really proud of you and you're doing awesome. And I'm, I'm lucky to be your parent and I'm lucky to get the, to be close with you. And this is special and awesome and meaningful. And I, I really enjoy this. 
And that's fine. So there is a role to play and a healthy joy and, and, and pride that you can take that's, that's a, more of a natural. And then there's unhealthy things you can do for your child and unhealthy ways to, to, to feed off of that. And so the unhealthy things to do is, you know, becoming some like control freak that's going to like force your child to go down some road because you need them to achieve. And they're, you're going to like make them feel like their worth as a human or your love is at stake based on how they're going to perform because you need to make sure they perform at a level to where you can get your ego bad about how, how, how special of a person you are. Because look at your son or look at your daughter. Like that's where it becomes unhealthy. And I think the same way with your pool game, there is a, there, if you're going to raise a pool game, there are things you need to do. You need to put in time and you need to, to spend time developing yourself and structured. Sometimes it's going to be learning stuff and structured practice. Other times it's going to be competing and, and, and going through the ups and downs. And, and so you need, and you need to nurture your pool game and put, you know, you have a job to do to raise a pool game. It does take effort and it's a big job. And so you're going to put in resources and energy and guidance. And for sure, when your pool game has breakthroughs and does cool things, there's a, a joy that comes from that and a healthy, a healthy joy of knowing, man, I'm proud of what this thing's done and, 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 and how far it's come. And it's, it's exciting to see. And, and that was enjoyable to be part of that. But the part where you take identify as it, own it in a way that's like, feeding on it, like, this is me, look at me, look at I did this, look at my game. And I think I think it's healthy to detach from your game to a certain point, the same way you detach from a child. That's it. I, I really I've thought about it. I, I just think that most people most people identify with their pool game like that's me doing that. Look at me run those balls. Look at me get that win. I did that. It's like well, okay, okay. Or we get to say, yeah, I nurtured it. I put in time. I'm proud of you know I'm proud of what I've done and the sacrifices I've made and I've worked that I've done and it's fun to see it come together. But but it's it's a pool game, and and a lot of the magic that comes isn't really from me. It's it's just you know by the gift of God that we're 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 humans are growth machines, and somehow despite my control freakishness and my insecurities and demons and problems, somehow I was able to have some positive things happen despite my interference. And I'll 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 show some humility and appreciation for some good things that have happened because I I know I played a role, and I'll I. I'm not going to play it small. Like it feels good. And I'm, but I'm just glad to be on a winning team with a winning pool game, as opposed to feeling like it's, you know, it's a direct reflection of how awesome and special you are to, to turn your game into some juggernaut that's beating other people. And that makes you superior. And all that. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I just wanted to say, I think people should detach from their pool game to the level a good parent detaches from their kid. Be praise it, be responsible for it, guide it, take some joy in it. But that's it. That's where I think that's anyway, I thought that was an interesting take. That's my take. Doesn't have to be everybody else. I like it, Demi. Cool. Um, that's enough. I've got other stuff on my mind, but maybe we just do another podcast sometime. But for now, um, I'm good. Anything else on your mind? No, I'm All good. Right. We're going to go practice now. Yeah. Time to run the ghost over and that's show right. everybody exactly. Exactly. What I can do. Uh, yeah. I'm going to show everybody exactly what I can do on the pool table. But after we film 15 sets, we'll put the best one up. And that's right. I'll have a slow motion. I'll do a, a, a like a TikTok short. Isn't that what they do? Or some kind of YouTube short where it's yeah, like, yeah. I like jump a ball that jumps a ball into a jump shot. And then yeah. I like <laughs> sit there and do some weird camera pose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm okay. On we'll it. get on that. All right. Thanks everybody. All right. We'll see you next time.